Hey, real quick, before you take your seats, I wanna read you a scripture and I wanna get into the message tonight. And the scripture I wanna read is Matthew 16, 25, and it's Jesus speaking. And He says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Some translations say, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. My message tonight is called Stop Pursuing Happiness. <laughs> Stop Pursuing Happiness. And, and I wanna speak around the problem of the pursuit of happiness. And so you can spin around, you can take your seats as we get into the Word today. Why don't you tell somebody they look good next to you? Let them know. <laughs> so good. Hey, um. Man, we had our Christmas um, production, our Christmas by Candlelight last uh, weekend. How amazing. Can we honor our creative team, Pastor Joey, the whole team? You guys, honestly, incredible. The techies, the dancers, the singers, anything else I haven't mentioned. Um, I love that we're a part of a church that can do incredible productions like that. Um, but more than that, I love that it's not about elevating our gifts or our talents or our name, but it's about elevating the name of Jesus with the, gift that's, the gifts that He's given us. And I'm so grateful that we're part of a church. We saw um, amazing people, uh, people come in and make decisions. An incredible number of people come who hadn't been to church in a really long time or hadn't been even um, ever before in their life and made decisions. So I just wanted to honour the team. I've still got, I've still got um, Christmas with Abby in my head, Pastor Joey. And I've still, got, um, I've still got the little thing, what's it called, the little things, Pastor Caleb. That's made my Christmas playlist now, bro. Like, don't we have an amazing YA pastor? And my goodness, in the jacket too, he's like fresh. You're a lucky, you're a lucky woman, Pastor April. I don't know where you're sitting, but I'm just saying. No, no, a little thing. Nah, I'll, uh, I'll get my mixtape dropping next year so you can listen to it then. Um, but um, hey, I'm, I'm pumped. We're going into, into the time of Christmas at City Point, obviously. And I can't believe it's the 12th of December already. I love Christmas and I love the carols, the movies, if you know me. I love Elf, Grinch, like all the, all the Christmas stuff. Um, but more than that, obviously, I love the message of Christmas and the, the reality that Jesus came down to earth, um, that He touched those who were untouchable and unreachable. And he came down as a gift. I, I, um, I read a, a quote on Instagram, uh, the book of Instagram, sorry, because I'm, I'm spiritual. And you might think it's a bit cringy or a bit cheesy, but, but it said that um, we were all on the naughty list, <laughs> but we still got the best gift, Jesus. And I know it's cringy, and I know it's cheesy, um, but I think it's a good place to start as we get into Christmas from the book of Instagram. Um, but are you, are you ready for the Word tonight, church? I, um, I've been praying this week, and I, I really believe God wants to, to say some stuff to us as a church about where we're going and, and what He wants us to do in the back end of this year. Um, but is it alright if I preach a challenging word tonight? I really feel in my heart to preach a challenging word tonight. I believe in God's Word. Um, he encourages us. He edifies us. Um, he brings a blessing and encouragement and hope. But I also believe that um, God actually wants to challenge us from time to time and, and even um, in some cases rebuke us and correct us. And so I want, I want to bring a bit of a challenging word tonight around the area of pursuing happiness. I love the Word of God, hey. And um, honestly, I, I feel like every, every time I, I open up His Word um, in my week, in the morning, God just, honestly, He just speaks directly to me. And I don't know if you, maybe you, you know the Bible's legit and, and you read it, um, but, but I really encourage you, man, like what would your life look like if you pressed into the Word in 2022 like you never had before? Um, I love His Word. I'm at a point now where it's like, I almost get like Bible withdrawals. Can anyone relate? Where you're like, I haven't read it in long and I need, I need, like, to, I need like a fix. I need the Word of God. And so um, I really believe there's power in His Word and we're gonna get around it tonight. Um, and I want to I wanna open up to uh, an interesting book. You may have read it, you may have not. And it's the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is probably one of my favourite books in the whole Bible. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that. Um, this book, it actually is, is written by King Solomon towards the end of his life. And if you don't know who King Solomon was, he was the wisest king who ever lived in Jerusalem and, and reigned. 
And so he writes this towards the end of his life upon repenting from the wickedness he was living in and actually turning back to God. And we'll pick it up in chapter 1, uh, verse 2 to 11. But, but before we do, what you have to understand is when you approach the Word of God, it's so important that you know the context and the author's intent in, in why they wrote it. And so when he wrote this, he's actually writing it in a very unique literary style that's a lot different to the way that we would write things a lot today. And he writes from a perspective of someone, um, this perspective of living only with the temporary and the things under the sun in mind and not God in the forefront. And so we'll pick it up. It's very encouraging. <laughs> this is what he says. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already. Long ago, it was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. <laughs> Who's feeling encouraged tonight? Can I encourage you on your Sunday night? That's my message. We're going to go out praising. No, I'm really joking. Um, hey, when, when we approach the Scriptures, as I said, it's important to know the author's intent. And when Solomon wrote this, he continually repeats this phrase, because um, he sounds like a bit of a pessimist, right? But he continually repeats this phrase, under the sun. And so when he's writing this book, he's actually writing it from a perspective of someone who's only living with what's under the sun. In other words, what's temporary in mind. He's writing from a perspective of someone who's rejected the idea of eternity and the idea of God and is only focused on the things of earth. That word meaningless even, uh, scholars would probably agree that it actually translates in the Hebrew a lot better um, as, as this word Havel, and Havel uh, is H-E-V-E-L, and Havel actually means um, like a vapour or like a smoke. And so he's saying that life is kind of like, a, it's like a smoke or it's like a vapour. It's like you can see it, but you can't quite grab it and, and, and it's there for a moment and then it passes away. And so what you gotta understand is that Solomon's not saying that life is meaningless. He's saying life without God is meaningless. He's saying that, that true life is found and meaning is only found when you find it in a relationship with God, not with the things just of earth, but with eternity and with the end in mind. And so he, he, he begins to write in this book and, and you can read the rest of it. He, he comes to some different conclusions in the book, um, which I believe are beneficial for us to know. Um, he uses that word Haveli, repeats it. He uses the word, um, the phrase, sorry, under the sun repeatedly. And I think it's actually a very um, important topic for us to address in our world today is the idea of meaning and the idea of purpose. Because one of the most searched or some of the most searched types of questions on Google, um, and I believe over COVID these things only increased as people were in lockdown. Uh, one of the most searched questions are things along the lines of um, why am I here? Or things along the lines of, of what's the meaning of life? Or what, what's the purpose of life? And so this is a question in our prosperous culture that we live in where meaning and purpose is something that people actually wanna, wanna have. <laughs> and the reason people wanna have it is because the desire for a meaningful life is etched into the heart of every human soul and into the, every human heart, a desire for meaning. But God doesn't give us desires like that so that we can live in emptiness. He gives us those desires because He actually wants to be the one to fill them. And can I tell you tonight that you might have maybe you've been in a place where you feel like you're in a loop and you feel like you kind of just wake up and, and you go to work and you kind of just do your thing and you, you go to bed and you wake up and you go to work and you do your thing and you feel like you're in a loop. Can I tell you that, that there, is, there is greatness on the inside of you and there is a meaning and a purpose to your life. 
And the reason I know that is because you're made in the image of a creative God who has the DNA of heaven on the inside of you. And so regardless of what you've been told, regardless of what you think, there is a meaning and a purpose to your life. But what happens in the world we live in, in this um, world where people often can reject the things of God and the ways of God, we actually have a culture that, that still desires meaning, but looks for meaning in the wrong places. And so we have people that they'll reject God. Maybe you've heard this one before. People will reject um, God and they will say God doesn't exist, but um, because they still desire meaning and a spiritual aspect to their life, they'll be like, well, you'll hear people say things like um, the universe. Have you ever heard that? The universe is like directing me or um, like the universe is bringing me good stuff because uh, I put good stuff out to the universe. And so you hear people say things like the, the idea of the universe. And um, I can't go into all the problems with that idea, but, but one of them is that it actually, it severs the, it becomes an impersonal connection with a force instead of a relational connection with the Creator and the person of Jesus that we're meant to be connected to. Another idea is the atheistic view. And so this is the view that like, that life is, is kind of just, we don't really know why we're here. Um, there's no real point. We kind of just um, evolved from monkeys billions and billions of years ago. And, and um, there's not really a, a specific meaning, uh, general meaning, sorry, but there's kind of like specific meanings and specific truths for everyone. And so th this is the idea that, um, that we're kind of just on a rock in space um, floating through and it's kind of like, just do what, do what you think will be fun and, and do what you think will be beneficial to the world around you or to yourself. Um, but, but, and it's kind of like we're, we're just kind of um, like monkeys that have uh, neurons firing off and, and chemical reactions firing off in our brains. And I, I can get into the problems of that a little bit more, but, but the basic problems with that is that if we all came from um, apes, the intrinsic human value that God placed on us by design, actually you sever that off your life. And true meaning can't be found if we're all just floating around on some rock with no purpose or no, we're not going anywhere. And the one I wanna really hone in on tonight um, another one is actually the idea, um, and the reason I want to hone in on this, by the way, because I believe it's something that actually we as the church can even have in our language and in the way that we speak and the way that we talk. And this is the idea that meaning will come in your life when you pursue happiness. And uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying don't um, try to be happy. I'm not saying um, God doesn't want you to be happy. <laughs> believe me, God wants us to have a happy life. He wants us to have a joyful life. And He doesn't want us to be mopey around every Sunday and on greeting and just like, hey, like whipping ourselves all the time. He wants us to have a happy life, make no mistake, but, but the, the danger lies when we allow what we feel to be happy to take a greater precedence over what God's Word tells us will make us fulfilled and will make us happy. And so happiness is a great thing that God wants us to have, but we believe too often that a meaningful life comes when you pursue happiness, but the reality is a, a, a happy life comes when you pursue meaning and the meaning of knowing God and being connected to the one who created you. That's where true meaning and true purpose comes from. And so that's the idea that is so common. Even we hear it everywhere, right? <laughs> we hear it in um, pop culture and in movies and in, in music. It's like follow your heart and, and um, do what makes you feel good and, and um, don't worry about tomorrow, but just worry about this moment and, and what you want. And what I'm saying is not that God is against our happiness, but I'm saying as a Christian, our, our uh, allegiance cannot primarily be to what we think will make us happy. Our allegiance has to be to what God's Word says will make us happy and make us fulfilled. We have to be a people that, that bring our lives into submission to what His Word says over what our feelings say or even what the world says. And that's the place that God wants us to live in and the place that He wants us to live from. We can't let happiness be our primary pursuit. And you might say, well, well you're kind of giving happiness a bad rap and pursuing happiness a bad rap. But what you have to understand is, man, man people have ruined their entire lives pursuing what they feel would make them happy. People have ruined, people have been in a relationship and they've chosen to leave a marriage and have an affair because they felt that it would make them happy, they'd be happier with that person. And it's ruined the family and it's ruined the trajectory of even their life. 
People have ruined their entire lives in the name of doing what they feel would make them happy. People have, have gotten into substance abuse and into addictions because they pursued happiness over pursuing obedience to God's Word. People have, have torn down other people's lives in the name of making themselves feel happy and feel better. And one thing I've learned in my life, in my time following Jesus, is that if I leave my happiness in God's hand and obedience to God in my hand, I'll be a lot better off than having happiness in my hand and trying to make God obedient to my plans. We need to be a people who are obedient to God because I gotta tell you, your happiness is a lot safer in God's hand. He has, he has your best interests at heart from the things that are written into His Word. But I wanna, I wanna challenge you tonight that you can't actually live out the promises of God's Word if you never pick it up and read it and you don't know what they are. How can you be expected to live out the promises of freedom and hope and love that God has for you if you've never picked up this book or, or the only time you pick it up is when you see it on a screen on a Sunday? And so we need to be a people that, that put God's Word above our feelings of happiness and our feelings of what we think will make us happy. Are you good? <laughs> and what we've done, in, I believe, in our, our Western um, culture, our Western world, is not only has our allegiance come to our happiness quite often, but we've gotten to this place where, where we actually we pursue happiness over pursuing God's Word. And not only that, but we actually get to this place where, where we, we pursue happiness and we chase happiness so much, and we kind of have an idea of like, of like I'm just gonna like add a little bit of Jesus to my life. <laughs> Like, I'm just gonna do the seven day free trial of Jesus and just see where it goes. And if it benefits my life, I'll join, I'll join the gym. I'll join the gym of church. <laughs> I'm gonna do like a free trial for like seven days and if it's good, I'll, I'll, I'm in, I'm in God. <laughs> but a free trial faith has never been the call of the gospel. A laying down of your life has always been the call of Jesus and it's always been the call of Christ and it won't stop being the call of Christ. If you're not living a transformed life as a Christian, maybe you haven't surrendered all of your life to Him. If you're not still pursuing your happiness over God, maybe that's why you're in a place of unhappiness and a place of emptiness. And so we have to be careful about what we pursue. We have to refine our pursuit for God. Because we were never meant, what we do is we incorporate God into our lives when God is calling us to incorporate our lives into His purposes, His plans, and His ways for our life. We can't get it twisted and we can't get it the wrong way around. And that's why it's important that you need to pick up this book. Um, we actually, it's crazy, but I love the Word of God. As I said before, it's how He guides us. It's how He corrects us. It's how He speaks to us. Um, and there's been some, some dark seasons in my life when all that I've been able to hold on to has been a word from God. There's been some dark seasons in my life when, when all I've been able to hold on to has been the promises of God in His Word. And maybe you're in a dark season or a storm right now. Can I tell you, opinions are great and, 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 and Google is great and asking questions to people around you is awesome. But I love what Pastor Mark says. He says, you'll only ever know God as much as you know His Word. And there's power in a dark season in holding fast to what the truth of the Word of God tells you over what you feel is right or what you feel will get you through a dark season. And what we gotta understand is, and this is crazy, we're actually one of the most biblically illiterate generations, stats would tell us, stats would tell us um, than ever before. One of the most biblically illiterate. Uh, in other words, we don't know the Bible as much as a lot of generations prior to us um, do. What's crazy as well is statistically we have more access to biblical resources than any generation ever before us, period. And so we have more access, but we have less desire. We have all the access in the world, but we, we have less hunger for God's Word. And, and can I tell you, there, there is an, and I'm not trying to scare you by saying this, but, but there is an enemy that, and a devil that has an agenda to destroy your life, church. There's an enemy that has an agenda to steal, to kill, and especially to deceive you. And if I was the devil, I would do everything in my power to keep you from opening up this book. Because the Word of God holds power and it holds weight over the opinions of the world. 
and it holds power and it holds weight, holds weight over our own opinions and our own feelings. And the Bible even is described as, um, it's, it's, it's like the sword of the Spirit, the Bible says. And if it's the sword of the Spirit, then we as warriors of God need to know how to wield it in battle. <laughs> if you're never trained with a sword and the first time you pick a sword up is when it's, all hell is breaking loose, you probably won't do too well in the battle. <laughs> but if you've spent days training for that battle, when the time comes, when the dark season comes, you'll be grounded in the Word of God and the truth of His Word and nothing will shake you because your foundations will be in the right place. And so we need to stand solid on His foundation. The Bible is not meant to be, um, you know those fire exits, like an emergency break glass, get the Bible out. <laughs> it's like everything's going wrong, I'm gonna break the glass now and take the Bible. <laughs> but it's supposed to be our daily bread. It's supposed to be how God shapes us and where we put our, our trust in and our faith in. Devil has an agenda. And we believe that at City Point, um, the Bible is not just symbolic. Um, the Bible is not just something that we teach in Sunday schools or, or in kids' church so that people can, siblings can stop hitting each other and learn to be kind. <laughs> But the Bible is, is the Word of God. It's actually the Word of God that directs us and anchors us in our life. And I would be really surprised if in the world we live in, the culture that we live in um, was exactly the same value system of the kingdom of God and what His Word says. <laughs> and if you're a Christian, you probably know that um, the value system of the world and the value system of God are very different and often very at odds with each other. I'd be very surprised if, if they lined up all the time because God's ways are higher and His, His thoughts are higher, amen? But the reality is that if, if, if um, we listen to what the world is telling us and are conformed to the narrative of the world, if we listen to what the current of the culture says about God or says about ourselves, we'll be deceived. The Bible puts it this way. It says that know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, if knowing the truth sets you free, that means that the opposite is also true. That means if you don't know the truth, then you'll live not in freedom, but you'll live in bondage, but you'll live in slavery, but you'll live in chains. And so we have to know the truth and apply it to our lives in the Word of God, despite what we may feel, despite what the world may tell us. I, um, my dad said it this way, and I was like, Dad, I'm going to steal that for my message. He said, um, he said you can either judge um, your, the, the Bible by your feelings, or you can judge your feelings by the Bible. And I thought that's a, a powerful way to put it, because, because the reality is the Bible is, is meant to be the lens that we look at our lives through. This, this book right here, it's the most persecuted book in history for a reason. And the Bible is meant to be the lens that we look at everything in our life and everything comes through as a Christian. And so when the world sprouts an opinion or an argument, we have to look at it and bring it into submission to what God's Word says. But too many times we get it the opposite way around. <laughs> and instead of allowing the Word to be our lens for the world, we allow the world to be our lens on how we interpret the Word. And you'll never find true freedom and true hope in your life like that. Because the thing is this, you can't walk in the fullness of God's promises every day Number one, if you don't know them, but also number two, you can't walk in the fullness of God's promises every day if you don't first submit to the fullness of His precepts. In other words, His commandments. And so we can't expect to live like hell and expect God to bless the areas of our life that we actually haven't surrendered to Him. That's why we need to live by His Word. You can judge the Bible by your feelings, or you can judge your feelings by the Bible. And so what happens is when we hear an argument or an opinion, or even when you get a feeling or, or, or an, an idea in your own heart about what you think will make you happy or what you think will make you fulfilled, you have a decision to make as a Christian. Will you bring the world's views or your own views into submission to God's Word or will you bring God's Word into submission to the world's view and your own feelings? And that's a decision that you have to constantly make. But the thing is this, that the Bible is, is the ultimate authority. But as a Christian, you can't just pick and choose the bits that you like and then ignore the bits that uh, offend you. <laughs> In fact, the Bible is either the ultimate authority and has the last say for your life, 
or it's not the ultimate authority at all. It's either the ultimate standard of truth that everything weighs against, or it's not the truth at all. And you might say, well, Ronan, what do you mean? Like, it's, I can pick and choose. Like, and look, look, I'm saying there's an old covenant and a new covenant. <laughs> so that means there's, there's some rituals and, and adherences that we don't actually practice. But at the same time, there's also things that we do practice and that we do um, in the new covenant that God has commanded us to. Now, you might say, well, well, Ronan, why can't I just pick and choose? You say I can't pick and choose the scriptures that I want because and, and, it's going to be bad, but why can't I do that? And let me explain to you why you can't pick and choose the bits of the Bible that you want to um, apply to your life. Because the thing is this, if, if you dilute uh, parts of the Bible, you simultaneously are diluting your view of all of the Bible subconsciously. And, and let me explain to you a bit more. Let's say um, I open the Bible and I read um, God's plan for sex. And I read that God's plan is for sex to be within the confines of a marriage. If I read that and then I hear the world sprout a different opinion that, um, that you can kind of sleep around with who you want to and it's not really a big deal, or even if I felt in my heart that I don't think that's true, God, I'm doing okay where I'm at, you have a decision to make. So what you can do is you can either bring the, the opinion of the world or the opinion of yourself, the external thing into submission to God's Word, or you can bring God's Word into submission to that feeling or that opinion. Now, let's say that I read it and I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring God's Word into submission to the opinions of the world. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of ignore that part because I don't really think sin's too bad and this area is okay. Let's say you do that. You can do that. But when you do that, let's say six months on, you go through a trial and a hard time in your life and you feel like God has left you and you open up this word to find comfort and you read that God will never leave you or forsake you. Don't be surprised when you struggle to believe that because what you've actually done is you've actually trained yourself to think unbiblically and you've actually trained yourself to put external opinions, voices and feelings over what this book says. You can't have it both ways. It's either the ultimate authority, it's not authority at all. I'll put it this way that if the Bible is not the anchor that you hold fast to against the opinions of the world, then it won't be a solid anchor in the storms of life that come at you. If the Bible is not the anchor against the opinions in the current of the world, then it won't be a solid anchor when it comes to the storms and trials of life because we've begun to put external feelings, experiences above what God's Word says about us and what God's Word says about our future. The Bible's meant to be our lens. Um, there was a, a man, just coming back to the topic of, of happiness and the pursuit of happiness, um, there, there was a man by the name of Viktor Frankl, and he was a, um, he was a, a Jew in, around the time of Hitler in World War II. And so he was this guy, he was actually a psychiatrist, he, he was a very smart guy, and he wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning. Um, he wrote this book um, actually as a reflection upon his times in a concentration camp. And so he went to, the, so he literally was in um, Auschwitz prison, um, for a number of years, you can imagine the kind of life that he lived in this prison. Um, the first half of his book, he recounts the um, gruesome um, punishment, uh, uh, sorry, uh, torture they went through and the, the life they lived there. He, he goes on to explain it and he says they were shaved bare, they were given a, a barcode and a number almost. Um, and he explains that, yeah, that they had to work on very little food in the cold and obviously many people died and, and were gassed. And if you know history, you probably already know this. And, and he, he explains that in the first half of the book. He, he even recalls um, a time when, when one of his, his friends was having a nightmare in the camp and he's, he actually was about to wake him, but he realized that any nightmare he was having in the dream couldn't be worse than the nightmare that they were living in, he said. And so he was living in this, this terrible place of suffering. He saw, saw the worst of people in that area. And what happened was in the second part of his book, he wrote this other part of his life, this reflection. And as a, he wrote it from a, some observations as a psychiatrist. And he found something very interesting in the lives of the prisoners. One of the things that he found 
um, was that the prisoners who lost a sense of hope and a sense of meaning in their suffering, they would almost certainly not survive. But he found the people that even they were in the same conditions, they could, they could, if they kept um, hope and meaning at the forefront and they sensed that their suffering had meaning and hope, they would often survive a lot longer or even survive um, indefinitely as opposed to those who lost hope. And he found that there's a correlation between um, your sense of hope and meaning in life and what you go through. He, he found that there's a correlation between, he found that, um, that above happiness, what the human soul actually desires is meaning and is hope, even more than happiness, which is what culture would tell us we need, more, uh, need most. And so he found that, he made some observations about it. He recalls stories of people who, um, they begin to say things like, I've lost my happiness and my hope and we're not gonna get out of here, I'm not gonna see my family. And the next uh, day or two, almost indefinitely, those people would drop off and they would begin to die in the same conditions. He writes this about happiness. He says, it is the very pursuit of happiness that thwarts happiness. The more one makes happiness an aim, the more he misses the aim. And he goes on to say, um, happiness can't be pursued. It has to ensue. And what I take from that, I like the way he says it, but I like the way Jesus says it a lot better. He says, seek first the kingdom and all else will be added to you. See, the problem with pursuing happiness is if you pursue happiness according to what you feel is right, even though the world will tell us, do what makes you happy, do what you feel makes you happy, and you'll find a meaningful life, what Jesus says and what the Word of God says is if you follow Jesus and you seek first His kingdom and the meaning that He has for your life, happiness will follow you. You'll get all of it. And so we need to be a people that are living according to the pursuit of Christ, having our allegiance to Him above the pursuit of happiness. Even if I made you, if I said, laugh, <laughs> You don't laugh, you can't actually authentically laugh unless something funny happened. Because happiness is often a response to other things and the response to living meaningful, meaningful moments, he explains. And so we need to be people that live according to God's Word and what He says. Matthew 16, 25, Jesus says it this way, I'll read it again. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever wants to save their life, whoever hangs on to their life, Whoever pursues their own desires and what they feel will make them happy and fulfilled. He says, you'll, you'll actually end up losing your life. But he says, if you wanna find true meaning, true happiness, it's found when you lay your life down to Jesus. And I can testify to that in my own life. Because I, I try to pursue happiness a whole lot according to what I felt. But what changed in my life was when I began to pursue the meaningful life that God had for me and happiness begins to follow you. He says, you have to lose your life in Him and find true life. And it's not easy because it's a faith step. <laughs> it's a faith step to do that and to actually believe His Word. There was, um, in the, the uh, book of John, John 1.1, 1, 1, um, the Apostle John, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. You might have heard that Scripture before. That word that he translates as um, Word, it's translated as this word Logos, and it's, it's a Greek word. And the idea of a Logos, it, it basically means Word or meaning or the reason. And the idea of the Logos was this um, idea in uh, Greek philosophers had at this time. It was a very, very common idea that people had um, that if you could align yourself to this Logos, this meaning, this word, um, your life would, you live a meaningful, fulfilled life. And so people had different kind of views and opinions and philosophers debated about what the Logos was. Um, some people kind of thought it was, it was a set of, uh, it was a code of conduct that you abided by. Or it was when you find um, meaning and you, you align yourself with what you think um, you're supposed to do with your life. Or, or people had views, uh, different views of like, it, it's a set of ideals that you align with. But, but, but what John says in this moment, he says that, that the Logos, the meaning, the Word, the reason you're alive, it isn't to, uh, to, isn't to pursue a passion or a dream, though that's amazing. 
It isn't to adhere to a set of ideals or a code of conduct that that's all great. He says the meaning and the purpose in life is found in knowing the person of Jesus Christ. He says the Logos and the meaning is Jesus. It's the Word of God in flesh. And you might be in this place and, and I'm talking about God and about Jesus and, and about meaning. If you were really honest, you, your life doesn't have a lot of meaning outside of God. And I don't believe it's an accident that you're here tonight. I, I believe that it's, it's a God plan and it's a divine appointment that you're here. And maybe you're in this place and you're like, I don't, I don't really know God, I don't really know Jesus. And maybe you've heard about Him, but you don't really uh, know Him. <laughs> maybe you're in this place where you've been living up until this point, you've been living in a place of rebellion over here. And you've been living in a place of rebellion against God's Word and against His ways. And you've said, God, I'm just gonna do what I wanna do and, and see where that takes me. I'm gonna pursue what I feel makes me happy. And you've been living in a place separate from God. Or maybe you're not in a place of rebellion. Maybe you're in a place over here of religion and more specifically dead religion. And you're in a place where it's like, you, you go to church maybe, and maybe you read the Bible sometimes. And, but, but if you're really honest with yourself, if it really came down to it, you're just going through the motions and you don't really know Him. And it's been so long since you've really connected with God, you wouldn't even really say that maybe that you're, you're, you know Him or that you're saved anymore. And God's plan for your life, the meaningful life that He has in store for you, it isn't found in dead religion and it isn't found in dead rebellion, but it's actually found in the middle. It's found in a relationship. <laughs> not in rebellion, not in dead religion, but in a relationship with God. That's what you were created for, is it was an active, dynamic relationship with your Creator, with the One who loves you and gave Himself for you. The Bible says this, the Bible says that all who call upon the Name of God will be saved. Not you might be saved or you could be saved, but the Bible actually says that He'll come into your life and He'll make you a new creation. He'll begin to fill your life and begin to transform you from the inside out. Man, I can testify the best decision I ever made in my life. It wasn't the career that I pursued or the friends that I picked, although those things are important. The greatest decision I ever made in my life was to lay it down to Jesus and find true life in Him. And we could all bow our heads and close our eyes in this moment. Because I believe there's people in this place tonight and, and I feel that You've been, you feel like as I've been speaking, it's been pressing on your heart that you need to get right with God. And you know that you, you need a clean slate, that you can't keep going the way that you're going. That you're actually in a place right now where you say, man, I, I've been hearing about you talk about God and about Jesus and, and I need Him. I need a relationship with Him. I need a real relationship with Him. Maybe you're in this place and you followed God for a season or for a time, but if you're honest, you walked away, got caught up in life and got caught up in the wrong crowd. And regardless of what boat you're in tonight, whether you feel like you're in dead religion or dead rebellion, God has a, a lively relationship that He wants to, He wants to connect with you. Other religions will say, will say things like, if you, if you pursue, um, if you pursue um, a set of standards or a set of rules, then you can reach your way up to God. You can pursue God. But Christianity and what Jesus taught has always been very opposite to that. He's always said that, that Christianity is not about man's pursuit for God. It's about God's pursuit for humanity and for mankind. Come on, He loves you so much. He, he died on a cross for your sins and for my sins. You might say, I've got so many mistakes and so many sins in my life. Can I say, welcome to the club. We all have done things and we've all walked astray, the Bible says. But God loves you so much. He has a plan for your life. And if you're in this place, I wanna want ask you to do something brave. And you say, I wanna make that decision to actually get my life right with God tonight. And if that's you, with every uh, head bowed and eye closed in this place, I wanna give you a moment where you can raise your hand. I'm gonna count to three. And I just want you to give me a wave nice and high if that's you in a second. And um, that's not so I can get you down the front or, or, um, or tell everyone about it down the front, but I, I really just wanna know who I'm praying for in this moment. And, and I believe there's power when we have an outward um, declaration of what's going on on the inside. It's a, it's a faith step. So awesome, uh, is, that, is that a hand I see? Awesome, so good. 
And if there's anyone else, I'm gonna count to three. If that's you in this place, one, two, three. If that's you, say, I wanna get my life right with God tonight. As I look from the left to the right. Awesome, I see that hand, sir. Amazing decision. I see that hand. I see that hand, bro. Amazing decision. So good, bro. I see that hand on the right. Amazing, bro. So good. Is there anyone else? I see that hand, young lady. Incredible, incredible. It's the best decision you'll ever make. I see that hand on the back, brother. Amazing, bro. So good. Let's all close our eyes and bow our heads. I just wanna say a prayer over every single person. Lord God, we thank You so much for every hand that was raised. We saw hands raised, God, but, but You saw hearts that were open and souls that were saved. And we thank You, Jesus, that right now, those people are not the same person they were before, but they're a new creation, God. We thank You that they'd begin to pursue You this week. They'd begin to find true life in You this week. And they'd begin to live a life of hope, of peace, of joy, and of love. Thank You that You love them, God, and bless them. In Jesus' Name, everybody said, Amen. Hey, can we celebrate all those people? Man, if you made a decision, that is the best decision you can ever make, period. Bible says, um, when one person makes that decision, all of heaven throws a party. And so we're so stoked for you. Um, but not only that, we actually wanna meet you. We wanna connect with you. Um, and that's not so we can, it's, it's not weird. It's not an awkward conversation. We literally just wanna know more about your story. wanna know what makes you tick. Um, we have a few things we'd love you to do if you made that choice. Um, number one, keep coming to church. This place is open every single week. It's got amazing people who love you, wanna see you flourish and live the best life possible. Um, the other thing we'd love you to do is to find your people. And one of the ways we do that is we have these things called life groups where we meet and connect um, during the week and we actually uh, learn about the things of God together. And so you can go to the lounge, it's a room on the outside, on the right. You can chat to those guys there and they'll, they'll let you know about it, which would be awesome. And the last thing is start Growth Track. We actually have this really cool thing called Growth Track. Um, and it's basically kind of, it's like a fast track to learning about the faith and learning about Jesus and the church. And so we encourage you to do that. Again, you can chat to the guys in the lounge about it and they can sort that out for you. But um, can we celebrate one more time everything God did? Awesome.